You're listening to Ditch the Diet Radio with myself, Rachel Foy, the Food Freedom Coach. This is a podcast for smart, driven, high-achieving women who are sick and tired of their food struggles holding them back from having a life that they really want. So if you're ready to stop the struggle with eating, fighting your body, and ultimately find your own food freedom, then you, my gorgeous, are so in the right place right now. If you love the conversations that we have here on Ditch the Diet Radio, then be sure to check out my website at rachelfoy.com for free workshops, gifts, and much, much more. So are you ready? Here's a brand new episode from Ditch the Diet Radio. Episode 18 of Ditch the Diet Radio with your host Rachel Foy. I am so excited about the guest that you are about to hear. This is a lady who, if you are familiar with anything to do with the world of body positivity, um, the the body positive movement, then you are going to know who this wonderful, wonderful guest is. I had the chance to speak to the lovely Summer Inninen a little while ago and her and I have got very similar messages. We are both out there as campaigners and we're striving to help the body positive movement, well, gain momentum really, um, and start help all the lovely ladies right now that are struggling with body image and diet obsession to really start finding their truth about who they are without the need to slim down and fit themselves into smaller clothes. So make yourself comfortable. This is a fabulous interview. We had a really wonderful conversation. Um, She doesn't really need much of an introduction, but I'm going to introduce her anyway. So this is the lovely Summer Inninen and here you go. Okay, so I'm hoping that Summer is there. Are you there, my gorgeous? Yes, I am. Hey, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm very good. Oh, I'm so excited about this episode. As you can tell, it's like, oh, I can't wait to talk to you. Uh, no, I'm very well. <laughs> thank so <laughs> thank you. Uh, thank you for spending a bit of time with us here on Ditch the Diet Radio, because I know from what I know about you and what we've spoken about very briefly before, I know that you can bring so much knowledge and um, yeah, information to this topic when we talk about bodies and not having to diet and all that kind of stuff. So for anybody that's listening right now that's perhaps not familiar with yourself, Summer, um, do you want to give us a bit of a brief introduction as to who you are and what you're all about? Sure. I'm a professionally trained coach specializing in body image, confidence, and self-worth. And I do that through my private coaching and online programs. I also wrote uh, a book called Body Image Remix, Embrace Your Body and Unleash the Fierce Confident Woman Within. And uh, I really am, I I love the title of your podcast, obviously. (laughs) Um, I'm really just all about getting women to stop fixating on their weight and dieting and live life to the fullest and and know that in their core that they are valuable and worthy. That's a very amazing summary. That's like properly in a nutshell, isn't it? Just kind of embracing ourselves without feeling like we need to lose weight. Um, Exactly. Now, I know from your story as well, which is suppose fairly common sometimes with with people like you and I that become really passionate about this message we've got a very personal connection to it because I believe that you struggled yourself with this topic didn't you very much so yes so I was I was a kid that never felt good in in her body and um, there were a lot of different factors that made me feel that way I was I was teased for my body constantly when I was a when I was a kid and um you know that at the time this was in the 80s like the if if you go back and look at some of the media diet culture was um 
was was rampant and in a way that is I, I almost think more damaging than it than it is nowadays and so that was what I was really infiltrated with and it made me feel like there was something wrong with my body and it and it needed to be fixed and I was overall I was a very self-conscious girl growing up and uh and adult for a long time as well um and uh dieting gave me gave me a purpose and it gave me an identity and it it gave me that sense of validation that I so desperately craved um and that I, I got into chronic chronic dieting and it progressively got worse as I got older um I started I think I, I did my first kind of diet or attempt at weight loss when I was about thirteen 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it was, um, it, it really kind of slowly progressed into more fixation on um, the food that I was eating, more obsession with the amount of time I was working out. Because I, I know I was never a fit kid. I was never uh, athletic or anything like that. So yeah. I really didn't get into that until I was much older. And then it progressively got worse in into my late twenties. So I, I was kind of one of those individuals that had uh, disordered eating later in life. Like the onset for me, um, it didn't really become obsessive until I was in my twenties, and then it actually got worse in, through to my late twenties, to the point that I was um, heavily into the the paleo diet, like very very low carb, um, and absolutely addicted to exercise. And the combination of those things uh, together was really damaging on my body. And it started to impact my health. And uh, it got to a point where I I hadn't had my period in a while. And there were a bunch of different factors that impacted that as well. But I also just felt like I had lost my spark and my mood um, was more volatile. I had no libido. I was obsessed with food and I was obsessed with uh, with my weight. And that's all I cared about. And it was, um, it was crazy to me because I never really realized how much time and energy I was, I was spending on that because I thought that what everything I was doing was normal. And when I was invested in the paleo diet, I thought everything I was doing was healthy. And it's not until I look at, you know, the the quantity of food and the uh, variety of food that I eat now relative to what I was doing several years ago that I realized how completely disordered it was. Um, but I got to a point where my health really suffered and I went to see a naturopathic doctor and she advised me, uh, that my hormones were the same as a postmenopausal woman. And her first recommendation was you have to stop your intense exercise. And I started crying, uh, because she told me that I had to stop exercising, not because of my, my hormones being the same as a postmenopausal woman. And that was my wake up call moment. I remember sitting mm-hmm. in my car, I called my husband, I was in tears. And I just remember thinking to myself, whoa, like I'm not, I don't even care about the damage to my health. I'm upset because the recommendation is for me to stop exercising and to eat more food. And that's when I realized I had a problem. And I was a, I was a nutritionist at the time. So, um, I'm sure many people can understand that there was a lot of shame associated with that as well, because I was promoting this like quote unquote healthy lifestyle. And here I was actually with uh, very disordered behaviors and, um, and unhealth and not, not being healthy, you know, on the inside, maybe I looked like it from the outside for sure. But, um, not that there's a way that somebody looks healthy, like that, let let me just uh, put, put a big asterisk beside that. Yeah. Health doesn't have an appearance, but I just mean like I was, I was still 
you know, vibrant and I had energy and everything else. It wasn't like I was in, in bed sick, like I was out living my life. Um, but, uh, and so there was a lot of shame for me around that as well. But that, that was really my wake up call moment when I realized that I had, um, I had a problem and I needed to start to look at what was going on inside of me emotionally. And that food wasn't the answer. And in fact, food was, um, the, the, the symptom of my, um, of my self-doubt. Absolutely. That's what I used to, to fix myself for, you know? And, uh, and so that sent me on kind of a incredible enlightening journey to where I am today, which is being able to eat what I want when I want it. Um, you know, I no longer over exercise at all, which is amazing. And I feel amazing in with who I am. I mean, and I say amazing again, it's not like I wake up every day and I'm like, I'm amazing, but <laughs> I don't, don't fixate on my weight at all. Yes. I really just don't think about my body at all. Yeah. I don't care if my weight goes up or down. It is what it is. I've completely surrendered um, control and I focus on doing things with my life, having more fun, having more quality time with friends and family, um, having more experiences and, uh, and, I, and I'm proof that anyone can, anyone can do this. This is possible because, um, I truly believe that no matter what, no matter what weight you are, we are all entitled to a feeling of worthiness and knowing that we are good enough regardless of any other external circumstances in our lives yeah no absolutely and it's interesting as well that how you said that when you started your suppose pattern into dysfunctional eating which you know probably a lot of listeners can relate to and it, it runs quite parallel with my own story bizarrely but you kind of explained it as being you thought it was just quite normal and quite natural what you were doing because you thought it was about health and you know eating from a, a lifestyle point of view but arguably that was that was that was the danger, wasn't it? And I think quite often we do buy into this whole like, well, bullshit really, that if you eat a certain way, it's for health and it's going to help you, you know, prevent any illness and it's going to make you feel better. But actually that can be a really slippery slope into dysfunctional eating, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was, um, a lot of the changes that I was making were at the recommendations of personal trainers and, um, other, you know, health, professionals. And not that I blame them, but I think that there is so much misinformation out there about what someone with disordered eating looks like. Yes. Um, and what those patterns look like. And also just about weight loss in general and health. And I think that oftentimes, you know, we go to personal trainers thinking that we can absolutely trust them, but they don't always have a lot of the best information out there. And, you know, they were the ones recommending to me that I eat 1100 calories a day, mm -hmm. um, low carbohydrate, and be doing, you know, CrossFit five plus times a week. Wow. And that is insane. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. And I and I don't blame them at all. But I think it's also just something that really needs to change. I mean, obviously it's, it's diet culture, but it's, it's, we need more health at every size education. We need more education on what women need to thrive from a hormonal perspective yeah. and what disordered eating, um, symptoms look like. I, I didn't have, um, like a quote unquote eating disorder, but the things I was doing to myself were certainly, uh, not normal. And I always say like, I was not eating enough food to support a grown ass woman. Like it was, yeah, <laughs> it was, yeah, no, I was exactly. eating enough 
food to support a toddler. If I, especially like when I look at how much food I eat now, I'm like, how did I even survive on that? It's crazy. I think, I think what's also crazy as well, like, you know, based on what you're saying is quite often, and again, my personal experience and people that I've spoken to and work with, we often don't end up questioning our behavior as being somehow abnormal. It's that we think that we're abnormal because we can't stick to it or we don't have the willpower or, you know, why can't I stick to this eating plan of 1100 calories? Like what's wrong with me? And like you said, it's about having, it's almost like a paradigm shift, isn't it? It's like we as a society need to start recognizing that actually society's message when it comes to this is arguably screwed up. It's got nothing to do with us, but we find ourselves not questioning that. Do you find the same? Absolutely. And I think that we obtain validation for our disordered behaviors everywhere we look. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can, you can find support for everything that you are doing online. And especially, you know, social media is a wonderful thing for body positivity, but it's also a terrible thing for, for diet culture and for, for people with disordered eating habits, because it normalizes the behavior and it validates the behavior and it also gives you this perspective that everyone is meant to look a certain way mm-hmm. and that if you follow what they're doing, what these quote unquote experts are doing, that you will look that way too. And it, uh, it's through this very narrow lens that I think sets so many of us on, on, a, on a dangerous path. And it's so hard to have an open mind when you are so invested in being thin. I think that, you know, for the clients that I work with and especially in my own experience, that is all that I cared about. Because that is what I thought was going to make my life so much better. And I was so invested in it. I had invested years and so much money and so much time. All of my resources had gone into trying to make myself smaller that to even have to even to to even be open minded to another perspective. I wasn't ready for it. I didn't even want that. I would I probably wouldn't have even listened to it or heard it because I had invested so much in trying to fix my weight. Yeah, and I think that's, again, it's one of the issues, isn't it, that you and I probably often see that. I think when we become so fixated and so invested on, like you said, the thinness and the slimness and having a certain body shape and a certain weight, that sometimes that dysfunction that is part of that process for most of us, or so we believe it to be, we kind of, are. it's like we're almost okay to just put up with that because the quest for slimness is actually more important, which is really screwed up when you think about it. Yes, I think I think time and time again, we see we see people sacrificing their certainly their mental and emotional health, Mm. uh, as well as their physical health in the quest for for making themselves smaller. And, um, you know, it's it takes us away from from living a a full life. And it's, you know, it's so it's so disappointing to see um, to just see like the the number of people that that go down this route and you just want to shake them all and say ah there's another way like you don't have to live like this it's not normal I know exactly (laughs) and it's also I I think it's also quite bizarre sometimes that when you're on this quest and you know you're familiar with it you did it yourself I did people that are listening right now are possibly on it themselves that we spend so much time trying to get to this goal of a certain weight or a certain shape or a certain size, but we don't really often think of, well, then what? Like when we actually get to that place, then what? You know, then what's going to happen? Um, I got to that place several times throughout my process as well, but there were mm-hmm. no like, you know, unicorns and rainbows and sparkling glitter falling from the sky. It's like life didn't change and I still hated myself, even though my weight had changed. 
Um, and I think that's also an issue. Like we strive to get to this end goal, but it's like, well, then what do we do when we get there? Right. Yeah. I think you, you're happy for three hours yeah. and you, you, you wear an outfit that you always wanted to wear and it feels amazing and you get some validation, but then the next day you're right back into, well, now what, like what's next? Cause you need to keep fixing and you need to keep obsessing and it's not enough. Like the whole, the, the, the reason that happens is because the root of, of all of this is this, is this feeling that we're not enough as who we are. Yeah. And so if we don't think that we're enough, um, if we don't think that we're enough, then weight loss is never going to be enough. Uh, you know, and then that's going to, that's going to cause us to look for further weight loss to fix that. And I think that obviously we know cause dieting doesn't work and it often makes our weight higher that that's when it becomes even more shameful for us because then we feel like we're a failure. We already don't feel like we're good enough. And then we feel like a failure and we wonder why we can't get anything under control when the reality of the situation is just that, we're trying to, we're trying to fuck around with biology and we can't. (laughs) And, and that the real issue is the way that we feel about ourselves. And this just this core belief that we're, that we're not enough. Absolutely. God, I can relate to that. That was without question my biggest issue. But at the time I didn't see it. It was like, no, it's because I've got cellulite and because I don't have a perfect flat tummy. Like it was all about body stuff and it had nothing to do with that. (laughs) Exactly. And when I say that to people, they oftentimes new people who who are coming to work with me or something, they don't they don't that doesn't resonate or register because they don't realize that yet. But once we start, once I start asking them, I'm like, well, what does the cellulite mean? Like what what happens if you have it? (laughs) You know, then we start to really uncover the layers of 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 what they've associated with it. So oftentimes it's inferiority or judgment or rejection or inadequacy um, and you know, once we can kind of label those things and, and tease that out, it makes it a lot easier for them to see, see really what their body has represented to them. Cause the way that we feel about the things that we fixate about, um, the things that we fixate on, for example, cellulite, uh, having rules, things like that. Those are all just metaphors for deeper beliefs that we have about ourselves that are, that are, um, that we need to expose to ourselves so that we can work through them. Absolutely. And I think not being good enough, like you said, is probably one of the biggest ones for most people, isn't it? Exactly. Yes. It just takes many different forms, but essentially it is, it it often is just that feeling of I'm not good enough. Totally. Okay. So going back to your story and kind of picking up where you left off, you said that you'd invested so much in being thin, the quest for being thin. You've gotten to this Mm -hmm. stage where your health had been impacted, where it was then suggested that you stopped exercising and basically started eating again or eating properly, eating well. How did you then go from being so exercise, weight fixated, like, you know, food obsessed to actually slowly letting that quest for thinness go? Like what for you specifically, what did you do? Um, It was a long road. So I, you know, first, first thing I had, I had to do, I I really did want to get my hormones back. That was important to me. Um, I just a sidebar to that. I think at the time my desire to get my hormones functioning again was in the hope that, oh, well then I'll be able to lose weight easily. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I better eat and stop exercising. Cause then maybe I will actually yeah. lose yep. the time. Cause I was so disordered. Um, I, I had to slow, I, I backed off exercise. Absolutely. And I slowly started to reintroduce, uh, f- foods that I had been denying myself. And I'm talking about things like fruit and uh, sweet potatoes and like things that to a lot of people are just normal everyday foods. To me, those were I had fear foods around even things like that. I mean, let alone stuff like pizza. Um, 
And so I, I gradually started to increase the quantity of food that I ate and the type of food that I was eating. And I started to just do research on, uh, on body image and, um, and I read, you know, like some of Brene Brown's books. Nice. And that's when I really like, that's when a lot of light bulbs went off for me as it relates to understanding what was really happening underneath. Yeah. Um, you know, some of the first books I read were Brene Brown's books. There's a book called When Women Stop Hating Their Bodies by Jane Hirschman and Carol Munter, which was one of the very first books I read. I found a podcast on body image, which um, I remember listening to, and it was like blowing my mind at the time because this was several years ago when, when body positivity wasn't as mainstream as it is today, even though it's not technically mainstream now, but it's a lot more prevalent. Yeah. Um, and I, and I started to, um, work with some, some coaches around some stuff in my life and that, that really helped me to start working on my mindset. And then I found intuitive eating and I, and I realized I made that into a diet pretty quickly. So, um, I stopped <laughs> that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a danger. That's a slippery one, isn't it? That um, intuitive yeah. eating diet. <laughs> yeah, I didn't do that too, for too long, but <laughs> I realized, um, I, I realized what it was about. It actually did help me become more of a normal eater. Um, but I did have a little bit of a, there was a short period of time where I was, where I was being a little militant about my hunger and fullness signals. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, I don't think there was one specific thing. I think it was a combination of things over the course of a couple of years that I really started to, um, invest in my mental well being and really look at thing, what was actually happening, um, uh, from the body image perspective. And that, uh, that helped me tre tremendously because I, I gained a bunch of weight through the process of healing, which yeah. was, was really difficult at the time. Um, and you know, you're, you're, I think it's really difficult for people cause you're, you hear about having a set point and you're like, Oh God, when am I going to get there? Like, Oh, it's never going to be there. My weight's just going to keep going up and up and up. And eventually it stopped. Um, and it's, and it pretty much just, stays where it is. It hasn't really changed much in a, in a, in a few years. Um, so that, I mean, those are the things that I did. And for me, a lot of it was just reading a lot of self-help books and, yeah. and looking at things from a broader perspective, um, and not trying to fix anything to do with my weight or food. Yeah. Kind of having that awareness, really, that the struggle's not really about the food. It's about other stuff. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That was huge for me. Something that you just said then, which I really want to kind of delve into, is you've just opened the topic of conversation now, fear of weight gain. Now, this is a big one, isn't it? You know, mm -hmm. I think when a lot of women, you know, listening, maybe they're familiar to the concept of not dieting anymore. Maybe, you know, they've, they can understand that their relationship with food and their body is completely screwed up because of their relationship with diets and, you know, rules and regulations. But when we actually start to consciously step away from all that, even though we know it's for the better and it's towards you know food freedom and and ultimately getting our lives back there's often that fear of weight gain and this comes up with all of my clients always I'm sure it does with yours as well um it did yes. with me personally it did with you personally so can you can you give us a few kind of supposed suggestions or or things that you know from from your point of view how do we deal with this fear of weight gain because it's real and sometimes it can be almost paralytic that it can prevent us from from making those changes Yes. Yeah. I think it is one of the harder things. And I just want to say that, you know, it's, it's certainly easier for me because I am, uh, you know, quote unquote, straight sized and medium sized. Um, I don't, 
I don't fall into the, you know, the quote unquote, like fat. I, I'm, I'm not. And, and, um, I really did have body dysmorphia. I, I really did. When I look at myself, I'm like, oh, wow. Like who was I seeing when I was that size? Yes. Um, so I think I also just, I just want to caveat and say that I, I completely acknowledge that I have privilege and that I've never been a part of a group that is, um, that is stigmatized for, for being, for being fat. And that the, you know, when I talk about my experience, I just want to acknowledge that because I think it's important for other people listening that, you know, I've never been denied healthcare. I've never been denied a job because of my weight. I've never, um, had to, you know, um, been discriminated against on an airplane or something like that because of my size. And so my experience with weight gain is, is still like, I went from medium size to medium size, like just the upper end of it, you know? And so, um, I, you know, I, I just, I have a lot of compassion for, for individuals who, who are going through this, whose experience is different. And I just have to acknowledge that when I talk about this, it's, it's, it's not always going to be, um, completely relatable because I do recognize my size. But, uh, for me, it was so much about, um, two things I would say. One, changing my perception of bodies, because, you know, when you're spending all your time uh, just in our in our culture. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, I was looking at tons of of websites that were very much related to like paleo or CrossFit. Um, You know, I I watch TV shows where everyone's a size zero. You think that that's how we're supposed to look. (laughs) So getting rid of all that media and, um, you know, putting exposing yourself to, to women of all different shapes and sizes was, um, was so helpful for me. And that's actually been something that is researched and validated that it, that it can help change your perception of, of bodies and body image. And so that is like the number one thing that really helped me with fear of fear of, of weight gain was just starting to look at myself relative to all different kinds of bodies and not just thin and ripped bodies. And outside of that, it was really, you know, understanding what fat meant, you know, what does weight gain mean? Um, you know, what is, what are the fat phobic beliefs that you have and and calling those out because then we can really get to why we're so afraid of it. You know, are, are we afraid of rejection? Are we afraid of, um, of, you know, of being judged? Are we afraid of just feeling like a failure? Mm. You know, and I think when we can actually speak the truth of behind our beliefs, we're able to so much more readily give ourselves compassion because we can recognize just that hurt part of ourselves that is legitimately feared of judgment or legitimately afraid of judgment or, um, you know, genuinely doesn't feel like I'm, I'm good enough. And so thinness is the only thing that really can make me feel like I'm good enough. Um, and tending to those parts of ourselves with, with compassion, and trying to change our beliefs and understanding where these beliefs came from in that they are from the fact that fat phobia is rampant in our society. And we pick up those beliefs from the media or, you know, everywhere we look, essentially, maybe it was from our parents. Um, and so understanding like where the, where those beliefs came from and starting to challenge them as well. Like says, says who says who, who says that, going to be miserable or unsuccessful or any of those things. I mean, as women, we have been told that our, um, our livelihood is, 
and our destiny is dependent on our desirability. Oh, I know. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's actually like in our DNA though, is because for women, um, you know, up until just a few decades ago, (laughs) our survival was dependent on being likable because we weren't independent. (laughs) We were, we had to be dependent on men in order to survive. And, um, I would still argue that, that we're still fighting for our independence, but, um, there, you know, that was, that was hardwired into our DNA to be likable and likable equals desirable in our society. And so, um, you know, understanding kind of the the history and the feminist, uh, perspective on that was, was super helpful too, because then it's easier to kind of rebel against that system and sort of see it as like, Hey, wait a minute, this is like, a system that's been put in place to strip away women's independence. And this yeah. is a system that's been put in place um, in order to shrink women and make them smaller. Um, and, you know, understanding, understanding it from that perspective was also hugely helpful. I was going to say, cause I think sometimes when we start challenging our beliefs, you know, particularly the ones that we've just always assumed are actually okay. Like we don't need to question them, particularly when we're talking about food and body image. I, I think for some people maybe listening, it can almost feel quite scary to almost go against society because arguably what you talk about, what I talk about, what people that are listening right now are interested in, we are going against the grain. We are trying to break what has been sociologically accepted for such a long time. But at the same time, like you've just said, if we can reframe this and actually go, do you know what? This is about female empowerment. This is about us taking our bodies back. It kind of gives us a bit more power, I suppose, behind us changing our beliefs, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I think it's, you know, we always see memes that say it's a radical act to love yourself. And, and I, and I completely agree with that. I think it's a radical act to say, I'm, I'm, I'm comfortable with who I am and I'm not going to change or let me tell you who I should be. Um, for me, I was always a rebel. So that once I was able to use my rebellious energy towards this cause, it really <laughs> helped me personally. I know not everyone is, is, a, is a rebel. Um, you know, I work with a lot of women who the, the notion of being a rebel is really uncomfortable for them. So yeah. I, that approach may not work for everyone. And that's totally okay. You don't have to be a rebel. Uh, you're going to be a rebel when, by by <laughs> choosing to know exactly, that you're by good enough to <laughs> By definition, you will be a rebel, but you don't have to. You know, we can still work. We can still find ways to work with it if if you are inherently not a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> Which is okay. That's good. Um, That's good. But actually, we've all got a little bit of a rebel, though, haven't we? So even even the ones that aren't perhaps as big right now, we can still encourage that rebel to come out. That's a good thing. <laughs> So, because I think that often we think we're, you know, when we are, when we're not following our diet, quote unquote, we're being rebellious. And yeah, so, it's true. Yeah. Um, even though really it's just our biology, <laughs> but, <laughs> but maybe we can like tap into the energy of that <laughs> and like yeah. and use that to our favor. No, totally. So, so kind of going off what you said then, obviously we're talking about now changing our beliefs. Um, you mentioned about like social media and I suppose kind of like detoxing from our Facebook things and Instagram and Pinterest and all that kind of stuff that that doesn't really serve us to change our perception of body image. Um, what do we do when we're perhaps actively doing that, but we still have moments of really questioning ourselves so we're like getting dressed in the morning and we're like oh I feel fat or I just feel awful and obviously the diet thoughts start to come back like what kind of suggestions would you give in that situation? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of things that we can do. And the first thing to note is that 
it takes such a long time to change these beliefs. Um, you know, it's, it took, it's took, it took me years to get to a point to where I can honestly say, I don't care about my weight mm-hmm. up, up or down. <laughs> um, and that, um, and, and that I just don't think about it anymore. That took me years and, and weight fixation and dieting was my go-to coping mechanism. So it's, it's a, co- it's a coping mechanism. So acknowledging it as a coping mechanism, I think is really important because then we can get to the root of why it really shows up. So there's a couple different things. Um, I'll kind of take you through the process that I use when I'm working with women. First of all, I think it's important to decipher between physical discomfort and emotional discomfort, because a lot of times I'll hear people say like, oh, I just feel uncomfortable in my body or I hate the way my body feels. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'll just ask them, what does it feel like? And sometimes it's just a matter of putting on different pants. (laughs) (laughs) Not think about it. This one time this this girl posted in my Facebook group, she wrote the life changing magic magic of buying underwear that fits. and it's so true. I, I mean, I think that, you know, if, if you are in the initial phase of this, which the initial phase can be like a year plus for a lot of people, um, getting clothes that make you co- feel comfortable and help you to not fixate on your body, whether that's looser clothes, um, you know, buying a pants a size up, like just getting stuff that helps you to just not even think about it. Mm-hmm. That is so helpful. I can't even tell you about that. So understanding the difference between physical and and emotional discomfort is number one. And so if it's not physical discomfort, if it's actual emotional discomfort, then the next thing I ask is what are you actually feeling? Because as we know, fat is not a feeling. Um, It's a descriptor. Neither is big, neither is huge. Um, Gross, not really a feeling either. So I really dig, I push people to dig in. You know, like, what is it? Is it I feel inadequate? Is it I feel sad? Is it I feel anxious? You know, what's actually there? Because otherwise, if if we're not labeling what's really there, then we don't have a way of necessarily working through it. Yeah. And so that's, that's step number one is like, what's actually going on? And then looking at why that might be going on, because I would say, a large percentage of the time, we're feeling the way we're feeling because of something else going on in our life. Um, you know, for me, my, one of some of my biggest triggers were feeling overwhelmed and feeling stressed out, um, and feeling not good enough in other areas of my life. And that was causing me to deflect it back onto my body. And so I think understanding, okay, triggers. So what things drive me to feel this way and looking outside of just our body, because your body is majority of the time, not actually the problem. It's something else going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whether it's, I'm feeling a lot of guilt over, uh, an incident that happened with my, with my kid or with my mom, or I'm feeling a ton of pressure at work, or I made this mistake or, um, you know, I just having really bad anxiety or the season is changing. Like, you know, the, I, it's gray outside all the time. I'm depressed. Like what is, what is actually going on and then causing you to fixate on your body? Cause we're looking to our body to fix it. Like emotional, I call it emotional weight fixation mm-hmm. and uh, emotional dieting and that we look to those things to fix our emotions. So just getting, understanding that. And then once that's all clear and sometimes it's not always clear. Um, but once you can kind of just label and bring awareness to what's truly going on, then offering yourself compassion, you know, like, I'm just having a day where I feel really inadequate. What does this part of me need? 
you know, what is this part of me that is really stressed out and anxious need? Or what is this part of me that's really feeling um, inferior or not good enough need? Uh, and then, and then we can tend to ourselves in a much more productive way because maybe it's, we just need to have a bit of patience and just give ourselves a bit of compassion that like, okay, it's just, it's struggle. Today's a bad day. We'll get through this. Maybe it's some extra self care. Maybe we need to go talk about it with somebody, whether that's a friend or a coach or, you know, on, in a Facebook group, um, where that's, uh, an outlet for you. And, and let it out. And I think that talking about it is, is one of the most important acts of self-care that we can do for ourselves. Um, for me, I have to talk about stuff. If I'm feeling bad about something or myself, um, I have to talk about it. And I, and I still feel bad about myself a lot. It's just not about my body anymore <laughs> because yeah. we all, have, we all still have self-doubt. I shouldn't say a lot, but I go through ebbs and flows where I'm like riding a wave where I feel awesome and everything's yeah. good. And then go through a slump where I'm just like, man, I'm just feeling super inferior. Um, and I'm just sad and I just don't feel good. And I, and I just stay in that space for as long as I need to, to move through it. Um, you know, and I have a coach that helps me with stuff like that as well. And I think that often that's another really good solution is working, working with someone. If you feel like this is coming up a lot, you want some help to get deeper, work with a coach, go to therapy because they're going to help you piece together some of the stuff underneath. And also just to be able to talk about it. Cause when we keep stuff bottled up inside, it makes it so much harder. So, um, it's also helping, um, helping somebody to, to feel comfortable with the discomfort as well, isn't it? Cause we often run away from emotion or I know that I did, like as soon as I felt anxious or panicked or fearful or like you said, overwhelmed, stressed, I didn't want to be in that place. So I'd straight away go to the kitchen and start eating or I'd go to the gym and work out. Um, yes. And I think that discomfort is part of life. Like I still have days when I feel shit. And I think yes. the more that I've accepted that as just being normal and being who I am and not beating myself up over those feelings, they've just kind of gone. And it's fascinating to, to actually be in and to witness now because I ran away from that for such a long time. Yes, and I hated those parts of myself, but mm. now I nurture those parts of myself. So I have, you know, I, I this is, may sound a little bit woo-woo, but I sort of have like, you know, I personify those parts of myself. Like there's like the inferior part of myself. I and it's like, when she shows up. <laughs> I'm like, you know, what does she need? Like, yeah. why, you know, what, what does she need? There is another part of me that's called second best summer. And she like constantly feels like she's like, can never be the best. <laughs> it's like, what does she need? You know, cause I think a lot of, sometimes a lot of other coaches will, t- will try to get you to, um, get rid of that part of yourself. Mm. And I don't think that we ever necessarily get rid of some of these parts of ourselves. They're always going to be with us and they're going to show up at different times and they're teaching us things when they show up and when yeah. we can acknowledge them, welcome them in, nurture them and give them what they really need and feel our way through the mess instead of trying to jump over the mess, which is why I don't generally give recommendations like, well, just go and do something that makes you happy. Like I think distractions can be good. I think it's healthy to take time away and so that we're not ruminating on, uh, on negativity. But I also think that there's a lot of healing that takes place in the center of the mess oh, <laughs> and, yeah. and by leaning into our emotions. And that was absolutely something that I had to really learn uh, myself because I would have way rather cut carbohydrates than felt hard feelings. And that's why that's why that was always my go-to. And especially exercise like that. And I still have to watch that today. I'm like, what am I running away from? You know, like do I really 
need to work out or do I need to sit here and cry about something that's going on in my life that I'm feeling really out of control about? Yeah, I think and it's just human nature, isn't it? We do tend to tend to run away from things that are uncomfortable and that we don't we don't like. Of course we do. But at the same time, what's that? There's that there's like a meme quote that I've seen recently that in our biggest, deepest moments is often when we have our biggest breakthroughs. And that's so true Like we can yes. really start to recognize the patterns, the triggers, the, the, the real things that are going on under the surface. Um, and I think when we're talking about food, it can be really empowering to recognize those things. Yes. And, and just observe it with curiosity too. And mm. I think it's hard when you're in it to do that. It's absolutely hard when you're in the depths of, of, feeling ashamed or sad yeah it is really hard to to observe it because you just feel like you're never going to get out of it and I think trusting that you'll get out of it and and remembering the times that you've gone through it before and what's worked and what hasn't worked as well um you know trusting that it will pass is something that I I really enforce in in my clients and in myself is just okay like we feel this way right now in this moment but that's you know I have to trust that it will pass whether that's in a few hours, a few days, or even sometimes, you know, going on several days. Um, And then at that point, like, if it's still there, I'm like, all right, going to therapy or going to to see my coach, like, because that's when I know um, that I need just trying to sit here and work through it on my own. That's good, though, because you've obviously worked on yourself now to the extent where you recognize when when things are, let's kind of quote unquote normal, whatever that might mean, but you then also recognize that maybe when something does come up for you, whether it's like an old pattern or an old belief, you kind of know now when you do maybe need an extra bit of, you know, an extra pair of eyes or an extra pair of ears to just kind of help you go through that, which I think is really good. It's really, yeah, it's empowering, isn't it? Yes, yes. And it's, I mean, it's one of those things, it's just an act of self-care for me to invest in things like that because... I know the value and I would, and, and I would so much rather feel better sooner by getting someone to help me through it than to try and muscle it through on my own when I don't need to, you know, there's no shame in asking for help. And that's, I still have a coach. I have a coach that I see once a month and we just work through whatever Mm. cobwebs are in my head at that moment. And, um, you know, and that's to do with anything in my life, whether that's with like my relationships or my family or, um, you know, my career, like there's just, there's always something that I want some, some help working through. And, you know, that's not to say I feel like I'm broken and need to be fixed. It's just, it's like going to the chiropractor or going for massage therapy. You know, you just do it to work out some of the kinks and then you feel better for a while and then you go back and get an adjustment. And it's like, I don't know why it's so abnormal to do that for our mental well-being. I know. You know, if you, if you think about it, that's what we do for our physical selves all the time. We have you know, we go and get pedicures and things like that because they, they make us feel good. And yet we hesitate to do things like therapy or coaching because I don't I don't know why. But it just if you think about it in the same context, it's like, why wouldn't you do that on a regular basis? I know it's yeah. true. It's true. Yeah, we got to tend to our mental well-being the same way we tend to our physical. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still quite a bit of, well, should we say stigma or maybe a taboo around this? I know a lot of people that struggle with food and body image, they are kind of it's almost like they're doing it in secret. You know, a lot of people maybe don't fully ex- understand to the extent by which that person might be struggling. So maybe they don't feel like they can reach out. But there's no shame whatsoever. Anyone listening right now, there's no shame whatsoever to reach out and get some help if you feel like you need it. Because as some are saying, my experience as well, when you can, you know, start working through your stuff, maybe being helped do- by doing so, it's astonishing what kind of change you can get relatively quickly, really. Yes, yes, absolutely. I think there is 
some shame around it and almost like an expectation that you should be just be able to figure it out on your own. And I think that, um, you know, that's often like a bit of a perfectionist mentality, which I think anyone having who has body image struggles is a perfectionist. Yes. <laughs> um, <because laughs> Raising my hand. <laughs> yeah, that is what we're doing as we are, you know, looking to please and be accepted by others. Yeah. Um, and I think that some part of that mentality is just thinking that we can just figure this out on our own. And, um, and, you know, it's, it's, it actually takes a lot of courage and strength to just say like, I need some help with this and I'm going to get help with this or I'm going to, I'm worth it to invest in this because I know that the outcome will be, uh, so positive for my life. But I think that's also a part of it actually. And just speaking about this now and putting that together is that because it is such foreign territory for so many of us, yes, we're hesitant to invest in it because we don't realize how valuable the outcome actually is. Mm. Um, you know, the outcome is scary because it's unknown. And I think then, therefore, investing in it makes it even more difficult because we're like, oh, is this for real? Like, you know, I hear these other people talking about how they feel so free or how they leave forget about ice cream in the freezer yeah. or whatever it is, but that can't be me or I could never be happy in this body. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, it's, it is a big risk, but I, I just say to people, well, just give it a shot and try it. Uh, no one regretted being kind to themselves. <laughs> Not no, that I've ever. That's true. God, that's a good way of looking at it. Nobody regretted being kind to themselves. Yes, definitely. And also <laughs> yeah. as well, you know, how much money did people just throw at dieting and exercise and actually maintaining their dysfunction? So that's also something everyone listening right now to reframe this you know you are still investing in a problem at the moment and you can choose to invest in another way if you want to exactly exactly flipping it around listen before we come to the end because I'm yeah conscious of this conversation is just so fascinating I think I might invite you back on summer I really want to talk to you about health next time about health doesn't have an appearance um because I think that's a topic that probably the listeners would be really interested in but before we finish um Anybody listening right now that's obviously very, you know, interested about what you're talking about, maybe, you know, they're curious about what you do and how you go about your practice as well. Um, Can you direct us to your website? Where can we find out more about your awesome message? Sure. So you can go to summerinand.com, but I realize that's not the easiest name to spell. (laughs) So if you go to, if you go to thebodyimagecoach.com, you will land on my website and I have a I have a free 10 day body confidence makeover on my website that you'll see, which it takes takes women through 10 important steps that they can take to um, feel better in their body right away. And um, you can go directly to that at summerinandin.com forward slash freebies. Um, I also have a podcast called Fearless Rebel Radio and Rebel spelled R-E-B-E-L-L-E. Apparently, I have a thing for making things difficult to spell. <laughs> it's uh it's been on a hiatus for a couple months but it's coming back in January and I'm super excited about it I had to I had to just put it on a hiatus for a few months because it had been operating a little bit chaotically for two and a half years fair enough now it's gonna actually be (laughs) now it's actually gonna have a bit of a structure around it so um but anyways I I talk about similar types of things as yourself so there's another podcast for people to listen to if they're curious there's loads of resources out there and anyone that's listening to this right now through my website rachelfoy.com um all of summer's social media links web page um podcast etc the links will be below this podcast just to let you know so summer thank you so much for spending the last yeah 45 minutes or so with us it's been absolutely lovely to have you on the show and i am going to invite you back (laughs) 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Rachel. You're very welcome. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll catch up soon. Thanks. See you later. Bye. Thanks for listening to Ditch the Diet Radio, everyone, with your host, Rachel Foy. That's me. If you've got ever any questions, then you can email me at info at rachelfoy.com. Be sure to check out the website, rachelfoy.com, for your free gifts and other bits and pieces. And if you would like to leave a review or subscribe to the podcast, then please do so. I am trying my absolute best right now to get the most amazing, incredible and inspirational people on the podcast show. And if there's anyone that you would really like me to interview, then drop me a message and I will see what I can do. Have an awesome day and remember that you can have a life where food doesn't control you. I can't wait to show you how. Bye.